0: Once again, a very good evening to each and every one of you. Welcome to this, our live stream Saturday service. Uh, We truly hope that when the situation does clear and we give the green light to go ahead, we'll be able to gather once again in this sanctuary to worship the Lord. But for the time being, as we gather together, can I invite you now to turn with me as we look into the Word of the Lord. We're going to look once again to the book of Corinthians and this time we're going to look at chapter 15. So you have your Bibles can invite you to turn with me as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we will first cover the first 19 verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, reading from verse 1. And the Apostle Paul writes, he says, Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also receive, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to save us, then to the twelve. Then it appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Father, indeed, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word that is so freely available to us. We thank You, Lord, that Your Word is one that is breathed out by You, that Your Word is useful to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, to train us in all righteousness. And so, Father, we come before You this evening as we receive Your Word with open hands and hearts. We ask of You, Lord, that what we receive today will be thoroughly equipped for the good work that you have set before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our church, we have come now to the final two chapters of Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. And we find that in this rather lengthy chapter, Paul addressed the Corinthians on an unusual topic. The topic about the resurrection of the body. He says in verse 12, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And you find that this time round, however, the apostles' command here was not aimed at correcting any particular behavior among the Corinthian Christians. And in this respect, you find that this chapter differs from previous ones. But nevertheless, he is still deeply concerned to correct any wrong belief about this particular topic regarding the resurrection because he does suggest that if we have the wrong belief, it would definitely have some implication in the present as well as in the future. Now, it's not clear as to how he discovered that some of them claim to deny the resurrection of the dead. But we know that the indirect manner in which he approached this subject suggests to us that it is not a matter that was written to him that needed some counsel. Rather, it is more likely that this was reported to him by an informant. And probably this could be Chloe. And we know about Chloe in the first uh, chapter of this letter that he has written. And so it was probably someone who has reported this to him that raised the statement that there is no resurrection of the dead. The interesting thing about this topic, however, is this. How did the Corinthian Christian arrive at such a view? It is indeed puzzling to see how a group of people who only recently were being converted to the faith could now so quickly deny the resurrection. How could this have happened? Well, as you have seen in our studies, Corinthian being a Greek city, it prided itself with the countless Greek philosophies and its many influence. And we have known that part of this Gnostic teaching considered that the human body as a prison. And so, you could see that they welcomed death as a deliverance from this particular bondage. Hence, they hold to this view of the resurrection of the dead as something to look forward to, or rather they hold to this view of something that they do not want to look forward to. The warning for us then, for all of us then in all things, is that if we are not careful, and if we are to be a living and healthy church, we must not, like the Corinthians, be swayed by the many influences outside the church. But instead, we should be grounded solely in God's Word as well as being committed in discipling others towards this truth. So how then did Paul help the Corinthians to change their mindset on this particular matter? Well, he simply answered four basic but fundamental questions. And with that, let's again look into the passage and we find that the first question that Paul raised is this, are the dead raised? This was Paul's first question. Are the dead raised? You see, Paul's starting point was to remind the Corinthians of their salvation. He reminded them in verse 1 that the gospel was first preached to them by the apostle himself, of which they had received gratefully the message and thus they were saved into the kingdom. The gospel message, as Paul continued in verse 3 and 4, revealed that this Christ. Died for our sins, that Christ was buried, and that Christ was raised on the third day. Paul then jumped into verses 12 to 19 and especially in verse 17. He further states that in that if Christ has not been raised, then they are all still living in sin and their faith is futile. So needless to say, the integral part of the good news was really the resurrection of Christ. After all, if you think about this, what good is a dead saviour who cannot save anybody? So according to Paul, the fact that they were standing firm was ample proof enough that their faith was genuine and what they hold on to was not in vain. But I want you to observe also in verses 3 and 4. You find that Paul twice penned down these words in accordance with the Scriptures. In other words, he wants to tell us that this resurrection is something that has been mentioned in the Old Testament Scriptures. Paul was referenced that the Old Testament Scriptures itself alluded, bears testimony of the fact of the resurrected Christ. And then to provide more proof of the resurrection, you find that Paul continues there to mention that the risen Lord Himself appeared to many witnesses. On the cross where Jesus was hung, we know that there was a huge crowd who saw His gruesome death. And it is this same group of people who even witnessed His crucifixion and they even encountered Him alive. Now, friends, it's easy to make claims, you know, without any substantial proof. So we find here that Paul now presents a list of names of these witnesses from verses 5 to verse 8. He tells us that there was Peter and the fellow disciples who saw Jesus. Then he mentioned that there was the 500 brothers, James and the apostles. And then he mentioned, last of all, Paul himself. And separately, we can also point to Luke 24 verse 10, where this passage even tells us that soon after His resurrection, Jesus also appeared to many other people. In this passage in Luke 24 verse 10, we are told that Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. Jesus appeared to Joanna as well as to His biological mother, Mary. So you find that the undeniable evidence that truly the Lord has been raised from the dead, brought about a radical change in the life of these individual ones. And the question for us is this. What of us? What of us? The moment all these lists of people, when they realize that Jesus was resurrected again, their life changed for the better. Peter went on to be a great evangelist. James was a prolific writer. The rest of the people who heard the good news began to spread the good news. What of us? Have we who experienced this resurrection displayed a change in our lifestyle and in our attitude? Have we who known of this resurrection become more serious in our faith and in God? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. The next vital question that Paul raised is when are the dead raised? Let's continue to read from verses 20 to verse 28. Paul writes, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at His coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under His feet. But when He says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that He is expected who put all things in subjection under Him. When all things are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to Him who put all things in subjection under Him, that God may be all in all. And to summarize this whole section, it is important for us to be mindful that God always has a sequence in everything. And that even includes the resurrection. And Paul tells us from verse 20 and verse 23 that Jesus will be the first fruits, that Jesus will be the first to be raised from the dead. And this will then be followed by those who belong to Christ, verse 23, referring to us disciples. And in a way, we find that this is God's assurance to all of us that we too one day shall be raised from the dead. Thus, for us Christians, death is seen only as sleep. The body rests, but the soul is at home with the Lord. But at that point of resurrection, the body will be awakened and the body will be glorified. But when will this occur? If you look with me to the passage again, Paul tells us in verse 24 that this will occur only at the end. And the end here is a reference to the day of the Lord. And it is on that particular day that Jesus will come again. And this time he will come to judge the earth. He will come to establish his kingdom. Jesus will destroy every evil, every authority and power, and even death itself. He will put all, he will reign and defeat all his enemies by placing them under his feet. And what a glorious day that will be. And as to when this actual day will be, well, you can speculate all you want. People throughout history has been, you know, trying to guess and figure out when this day will be. People often say, you know, when the turn of the millennium, 2000, they say that's the day that Christ will come again. People, you know, some famous altar has said it's 1994, was it 1984, you know. But many people have attempted to determine when this actual day will come. But as we know from Scriptures, the Bible makes it very clear that no one knows when this day will be. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear. In fact, Jesus Himself claimed that He did not know when this will happen. He says in Matthew 24, verse 36, But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the sun but the Father only. So even Jesus Himself doesn't know when this day will come. He doesn't even know when He will come again. Only God the Father knows. So it's best that we don't speculate. But what we are assured of is that it will happen, and when it does, it will be in a moment, as verse 52 tells us, that it will be in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And the challenge then for us, church, is this. Because we do not know when Christ will come again. It's best that we need to prepare ourselves to receive Him. It's best that we ought to motivate our lives, so much so that we live in the present and now holy and godly lives. Let us not be caught literally with our pants down, not being ready when Christ comes again. The reason as to why the dead are raised are presented by Paul Nix from verses 29 to verse 34. Resurrection of the body, though it's a future event, Paul tells us it has compelling implication of our personal lives right here in the present. You see, if the resurrection is an event that is not real, then we might as well forget about the future and live currently, right now, as we please, in sin. And this is exactly what the Corinthians were doing by defiling their body with sexual immorality. But the truth is that Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again, not because he is dead but because He's dead and He has been resurrected. And even if we die before He appears, the Bible tells us that we will be raised and we will stand before Him in a new and glorified body. Here then are the compelling reasons that Paul cites to us as to why the dead are raised again and what it means for you and I. And Paul begins to tell us that the first reason Why the dead are raised is so that it is for us to be a witness of this good news. He says in verse 29, Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Now, I must say that for a start, this particular phrase, baptized on behalf of the dead, it's not an easy phrase to decipher. But we can do away with the view of proxy baptism, meaning to say that, you know, a believer is baptized on behalf of the dead, or a relative, because we find no such doctrine in the Bible. Furthermore, we know that salvation is a personal matter, and nobody needs to be baptized in order to be saved. But what then? While well, you find that commentators have rendered the Greek meaning to infer here as to be baptized as a result of those before us who have died for the faith. So in simpler terms, Paul is saying if there is no resurrection, then why bother to witness and win the loss for Christ? Why bother to reach out to sinners who are then baptized and take the place of those who have died for the faith? You see, for sure, each one of us, we will either end up in the resurrection of life and we go to heaven, or we will end up in the resurrection of judgment and end in hell. Therefore, we all ought to be weeping, we all ought to be praying for those who are unconverted, people that we know who still need to know the love of Christ. We need to be doing all these things. We need to be going out Reaching out to them, sharing the good news, inviting them to church, inviting them to Alpha, inviting them to to share the good news of what Christ has done for them. You see, the reality of the good news of the resurrection should be a motivation for you and I to live out this lifestyle of evangelism and discipleship. The second reason Paul tells us is related to persecution. Look with me to verse 30. Paul says, Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with bees at Ephesus. Now, our concern here is over this particular sentence in verse 30, where Paul says, why are we in danger every hour? What did Paul mean by this phrase? Well, you see, Paul recognized that being a servant of God, he was always in constant jeopardy from his enemies. As disciples of Jesus, we must not ignore the fact that we have to endure persecution along the way. It's very sad that if you choose to become a disciple and you believe that your life is from then on will be a bed of roses. It is sad that if you claim to be a disciple and that you don't want to face persecution. Because again, this is not what the Bible teaches. us. If you recall the words of Jesus in Luke 9.23, He says this, that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Daily, and follow me. So if we are to follow Jesus, if we are to be His disciples, we must be ready to face trials and persecution. And church, listen to this. As we evangelize to the lost, we will without a doubt face rejection. We will, we will without a doubt face ridicule. We will without a doubt even face resentment from people that we know And love. But Paul says that all these trusts are necessary part of discipleship. And the best part of all is this the suffering that we will endure in this body will one day result in glory at the resurrection. But Paul doesn't mention this in this chapter. He will explain this in greater detail in his second letter to the Corinthians. And you can read all this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The third reason, then, why the dead are being raised is so that we are to live holy lives, it is so that we can be separated from sin. Continuing on in the second part of verse 32, Paul says, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Verse 34, Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. And again, we know that the Corinthians, immorality runs high in their lives. Some rejected the resurrection to simply justify their sinful lifestyle of eating and drinking. In fact, this quote, bad company ruins good moral. This is actually a phrase from one of their Greek poets by the name of Meander. No doubt they were very familiar you know, with the same. But Paul used this quote in a way to challenge the people in Corinth that it was time for them to wake up from this drunkard stupor. It is time for them to stop sinning. It is time for them not to have this lax attitude of bochap, you know, of just eating and drinking for tomorrow we die. And you know, the same must be also said of us here in the church. We must wake up. The church, we are living in end times. It's time for us to wake up and take our faith. It's time to take our God seriously. You see, the Christian who is compromising with sin will have absolutely no influence to the loss around him. So if you want to go out and evangelize and bring people into the kingdom of God, we must first wake up from our drunken stupor, we must stop sinning. We must take God seriously in our lives. After establishing the fact that the Christian faith affirms the dead being raised, we find that now Paul ends by explaining to them how this will occur. So let's look at this last section that we're going to look at for this evening. From verse 35 to verse 48, (coughs) Paul continues to say, He says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life until it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For the star different from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. And what is imperishable, and what is raised is imperishable. It is not sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, as, in, as, is in the name, as, as is in the man of heaven. So are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. So it appears now that in the opening verse, That someone has posed this question to Paul How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Now you'll find that a closer examination to this question tells us that, you know, some of the Corinthians thought that the resurrection, they hold to this view, you know, that the resurrection is kind of a reconstruction, you know, that God will put back the pieces and return to us our former bodies. Now again, I want to stress that this is a wrong concept because again, this is nowhere does the Bible teach us such a doctrine. No wonder we find that Paul you know, rightly tells them, you foolish person. And so he corrects this teaching by using the analogy of a seed. Paul then taught the correct doctrine. He explains it this way. He says that when a seed is being sowed, you don't expect to see that seed to come up at harvest time. Why? Simply because that seed must first die. And out of that death comes forth new life. Hence, in a way, you can say that there is some continuality. What sprouts out at the harvest is something better than what was planted. And so Paul's argument about the resurrection is simply this. If at the resurrection, all God did was to put our flawed bodies back together again, then there is simply no difference at all. There will not be any improvement. And furthermore, we will know that the old former body cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The only possible way is to acquire a new body that is suited for the environment. And that is why Paul mentioned in verse 40 that we will all have heavenly bodies. And our heavenly bodies, according to Paul, differ from each one in glory. And this difference is really to our faithfulness and the amount of sacrifice that we were made for God's glory while we are on this earth. So you want to see in a very simple way, it is simply this. All of us, at the time of resurrection when Christ comes again, when we will all be resurrected we will all be in heaven and we will all be holding a cup, a trophy if you like. The difference here is that some will have bigger cup while others will have smaller cup in size. But the point here is this, we all will possess a cup. The Corinthian church, in conclusion, denied the resurrection of the dead and in this denial they are actually denying the importance of the world that they are denying the importance of the world that God created it is a denial that our flawed bodies are loved by God and will eventually be redeemed it is a future denial that it is a future denial that what we do with this body is of any significance In God's eyes. And the sobering observation here of the church of today is this. You know that although we do believe in the resurrection, we are sometimes no better off than the Corinthians. Now why do I say this? Well, we only simply need to look at our lifestyle. When we have the right perspective about the resurrection, our focus, our goals ought to change for the glory of God. Of God. And as we conclude this chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we need to reflect on this. If indeed there is no raising of the dead, then God has truly abandoned the bodies He has given us, and there will be no hope for us in the future. And this implies that our faith is futile and in vain. But Paul teaches us of the promise of the resurrection of the body. And this resurrection of the body will give us hope and it will confirm God's love for each and every one of us. And knowing of this love, this in turn, must and should motivate us to live out godly lives, fruitful lives, in the area of evangelism and discipleship. And so as we end, as we listen to this response song, may this song by Matt Rickman gives us this proper and correct perspective of the resurrection so that we may respond in the right way. Amen.